Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, uh, now in the new year, Mr. Jason Snow. Happy New Year, Stephen. How you doing? Uh, I'm good. You you too, man. It's it's uh, it's another trip around the sun. That's yeah, yeah. We had a whole episode about that. <laughs> we did <laughs> just a fortnight ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we're we're back. Uh, it's it's the the paint is still drying in 2016, but we're here to talk about uh, talk about the rules of the moon and what it does to our planet here uh, on the blue marble. But uh, first, we have as our tradition pre-flight checklist items. Yes, yes. Before we get going, we have to we have to. Do some uh, follow up and uh, and other stuff that's going on. We do have uh, some follow up the uh, from our shuttle episode, which is a couple episodes back. Uh, we got some follow up from listener David. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So so David wrote in uh, to talk about a, a another set of plans, I guess, for the shuttle and for the orbiter mm-hmm. to launch from uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base, which would I think the idea here was to be able to have a separate launch facility, and this was going to be used to put the orbiter into a polar orbit. Uh, we got a link to uh, a Wikipedia article about this. It's really it's really pretty interesting. I had I'd come across this. Um, I didn't really come across a lot of it in research for the, uh, the episode we did. Um, but basically, it was going to be a whole duplicate facility, uh, not for the, for the rehabbing of the shuttle and all that, but as far as, as launching it. Uh, but it didn't, didn't quite turn out that way, did it? No, they uh, they they scrapped all of this stuff. Is, is so as a Californian, I always thought it would be this really cool thing that like Florida gets all the space launches, but they were gonna they were gonna launch the shuttle from from Vandenberg, and so you could like go down to Southern California and you could see the shuttle take off and how awesome that would be. And then after the Challenger, they basically mothballed the whole the whole program and the whole idea of having a second launch facility. Cause again, the dream was to have shuttles shooting off from various locations and, and uh, at, at vast intervals and it didn't happen. Right. You know, like we, well, like we spoke about uh, a couple episodes ago, a lot of what came out of the challenger disaster, as far as like policy change and change in NASA was about, uh, just like the really kind of the day-to-day safety stuff. And I think the feeling was that as hard as that is going to be to implement that in one place, having it in two would really be a big burden. And it just really wasn't in the cards after the accident to 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 do this from, from two places. Um, but there also was an environmental impact as well. Uh, out at the Cape, you're basically sitting on top of a swamp. There's not a lot, not a lot around. And even there, they use just massive amounts of water to help um they basically d- dump into these channels under the the launch pad to help with the sound and help absorb some right. of the vibration and, and just the violence of of liftoff and that was uh, problematic it seems like at this at this air force base where there's some environmental issues about what to do with that runoff water and was there going to be uh damage to the environment to the uh, surrounding areas and it just kind of all came together uh against this thing yeah, it just it it just wasn't wasn't going to happen. It's a it's a yeah. There, there's so much. I would say a book could be written, but many many books have been written about all the issues with the space shuttle and and all the uh, the the coolness of it and all the problems and 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 the failings that happened. Um, and 
Yeah. So, so the I guess the other piece of feedback is that is that uh, the fact that everything slowed down after Challenger led to almost like a cascade of problems that led to making the shuttle program even more um, difficult in terms of paying for everything because the Air Force, you know, the reduced flight schedule, the Air Force needed to get, and and the military in general needed to get uh, satellites in orbit, and the shuttle wasn't going to deliver, so they had to they had to move all that stuff, all that payload out. Yeah, uh, again, like this, the idea, the the vision of what this thing could have been, just it just didn't really pan out. So no, it's a cool idea, but it just it never, you know, it was never reliable enough. It was it was too it was too sophisticated. We all make a lot of fun as 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 computer guys for all the old stuff that's in all the old technology that's in all these spacecraft. But this is the reason you don't build complex systems with new technologies that have never been tried is because you get the space shuttle. Which was incredibly ambitious and kind of couldn't work right because of it, <laughs> and it's too bad. So as a as a Californian, I just have to take solace in uh, in the landings, the many landings that happened at Edwards Air Force Base, and uh, that's it. That's, yep, that's all I get. That's all, that's all you get. But that was cool. That I never, I never went out there. That's out in the desert somewhere. It's way Edwards and Vandenberg are nowhere. In, I mean, they're they're near each other in the sense that they're in Southern California, but they're nowhere near each other. Vandenberg's on the coast, um, and Edwards is is in the inland desert. But uh, but yeah, that's that's our our little space shuttle. Uh, that was enough to get a space shuttle in in L.A. after it was all said and done. But that's about it. Yeah. Um, this is the 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 week of David. Somehow we have uh, f- uh, feedback from another listener also named David. As yeah. confusing as that seems. Yeah, so this one is about the Solstice episode. And, you know, the, the problem with trying to use analogies uh, to make things simple for people is that there's always things that you could mention that you don't. And uh, so David had, uh, and this is, this is the, uh, I think we said this in one of our first episodes, like, you know, every time we talk about a topic, somebody is probably going to be able to say, well, actually, <laughs> it is slightly more complicated than that. So, uh, you know, David's point is that, uh, is that, UV exposure issues in the winter have to do more with the fact that uh, since the the light is coming in, uh, more more light is coming in essentially at an angle. Uh, there is more atmosphere to filter the UV, um, but it's all I would I would argue it is all part of the same idea and the same metaphor that you are getting things at an angle, and that is the that is the difference is the lower in the sky the the sun is the less energy you get the more the the uv is filtered out uh it's the same big idea but but there are some specifics that are 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 not necessarily uh you know the the metaphor can break down metaphors are great but they're not reality so thank you to david it is true the the good news is you should probably wear your sunscreen all year long but you don't need as much of it in the winter so we spoke uh, last time uh, at the time of recording SpaceX was going to have their return to flight uh, mission, which they, uh, of course, now have had. It happened after we released the episode, though. It looked like they were going to do it before we even released the episode, but uh, they delayed it a day. Yeah, I so got, that, got I'd like to, to thank them for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You saved our, our couple senses about a time delay in this show. But uh, so there the a couple links here. And I mean, the news is kind of old. And at this point, but they they launched uh, Falcon 9 was successful. They released was it eleven? I think it was eleven like mini satellites. Yeah, those um, little cube cubesats. I think or, it was or pretty cool like watching that, yeah. them just like kind of like just slowly float away from the side of this uh, structure. <laughs> but the, the the thing kind of the story is that they 
successfully landed uh, vertically the first stage of the Falcon 9 rocket. There's a YouTube link in the show notes and a link to some news stories. Um, the video is incredible. If you haven't watched the video, go check it out. It really is uh, pretty impressive. I was I was watching it live, uh, like with my kids, um, and uh, it was just like it kind of blew their mind. I think, especially my oldest, uh, that it was like landing. He's like, "Well, you know what happens to rockets normally?" And uh, you know, kind of tell him, "Well, you know, they either you know <laughs> some of the the Apollo ones end up being shot into the moon. Most of them just kind of break up or kind of get get burned up. And this one landed, which is really wild to watch." Um, but the, the story here is that that is potentially a big deal when it comes to bringing the cost down of future missions, which this should sound familiar (laughs) having just talked about the space shuttle, that it is very much the same sort of idea that if you have a vehicle or part of vehicle, you can reuse that the cost of rehabbing it and refueling it and reflying it is supposedly much less than building a complete new vehicle every time. In theory, although, you know, part of the, the, the issue with the space shuttle was that, uh, as we talked about, you know, not only rehabbing the vehicle, but even like rehabbing the 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 SRBs that would drop off in flight was uh, better than nothing, better than starting from scratch. But, you know, it's not like you just brush it off and put it back in, in service. There's a lot, you know, it, it is a thing that flew and then and then in that case landed in the water. At least here, the idea is you, you land on, on, on dry land and... Uh, you can reuse the the equipment, and that's good because we wouldn't. We said last time you would want to uh, have uh, every airline flight you take be with a brand new aircraft. It would <laughs> right. make it would make that impossibly expensive, and that's the problem with space right now. Right, and SpaceX has thrown out some numbers as far as the the cost of of building the the rocket, which I think they're saying is like sixty million, and then two hundred thousand to fuel it. They're they're being very vague at this point about the cost of Mm -hmm. actually uh you know repurposing it if there are things need to be replaced that that rehab time is is really unknown it's probably unknown to them honestly at this point as well so what was that first number the the cost of the rocket Uh, 60 million 60 million so i mean you figure though even if it costs 10 million to refurb it still you're saving 50 million a launch right still a huge savings and what if it's 1 million to refurb it that's right, and so it doesn't. It doesn't have to be. Even if it was half off, it's half off every rocket, right? Mm-hmm. It's like everything must go rocket sale. So, <laughs> um, so it, it's a huge. It's a huge thing, um, and and uh, and they did it. That's the best part is they did it. It worked. Yeah. So uh, you know they they have said that this Falcon Nine won't fly again. I think they're going to keep it um, as a souvenir, but <laughs> put it in the museum. That's right. Uh, I think Elon Musk is going to have it in his backyard for his, for his kids to play on. Sure, why not? <laughs> why not? But uh, again, this is like the what these companies are, are for. Because as as big of a deal as it was for NASA and the federal government and the Air Force to have something that was reusable, these private companies um, they have real strong financial incentive to make this work. Yeah. And uh, so it's exciting to see it see it working. It was exciting to see that thing. Uh, land in Florida uh, on its feet, and um, I saw a nice um, graphic, and I I can't find it now. And if I do find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But it was a nice graphic that showed the difference. And some of this is Elon Musk versus Jeff Bezos, but um, the difference in the trajectory between the Blue Origin flight that went up and came back down, and this because <laughs> the Blue Origin flight just literally um, somebody even had an analogy. It was like 
it was like throwing a ball up in the air and catching it versus throwing a ball over the Empire State Building and then having it turn around in midair and come back and land in your yeah. outstretched hand. SpaceX actually showed that during their their like live TV oh on their video or, that's yeah. right that where they hired they I, I was unclear it seems like they hired some young fresh faced television talent to be on the live stream it was kind of kind of slick uh, but also a little weird but uh, so there's a graphic that shows it too and it's like the the, the speed that the SpaceX rocket has to be uh, even if even if, though it's just the first stage to get the second stage of the point where they can go to orbit it is not even close to the the level of it's so much beyond the level of complexity of what blue origin did which is not to say the blue origins thing wasn't cool but this is a lot cooler yeah i i agree it's pretty it's pretty awesome yeah uh so now some time for some not so awesome news um oh yeah yeah this thing so the nasa uh <laughs> Insight mission. <laughs> this thing. Wah, wah. Oh. Said trombone, NASA Insight mission. Yeah. Uh, delayed. And I actually, it's funny. Uh, it sounds like more, maybe more has come out now and, and it's not so dire, but I, I, I was watching Emily Lactawala talk about this and um, uh, when it was happening. And I got the sense that uh, this might even be worse news. So, so the idea is that this uh, 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 Mars Insight mission it has a launch window in 2016 and um and they have an instrument that requires vacuum in order to work and in all their testing they uh found that it leaks so they can't use it it's and not, that means they're going to miss yeah they're, so they're going to try and you can't just like caulk it or something right so <laughs> so they have to they have to delay it because they have tried to fix this instrument and they can't get it to work right uh given where it's going to be operating in space and uh and they're going to miss the launch window because the 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 launch windows and this is an episode that we could talk about sometime about orbital mechanics and things like that but you can only really to go to mars every 26 months is where you've got the the, the launch window that's when mars is on is going to be on our side you know close to us and you launch and then it's a short trip um and uh so they're going to miss it which means it's delayed 2 years and 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 the 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 rumbling at least that i heard at the beginning is it's unclear exactly what's going to happen here because if they can't fix it they basically have to scrap it and that's the concern is is this something that they're going to keep trying to fix or or do they not know how to fix it so it'll be interesting to watch but it it does mean that in this dry period that emily was talking about when when uh with us when she was on the podcast uh this dry period where there's not a lot of planetary exploration going on because not a lot of it got funded we've got the stuff that's out there now but there's going to be this lull in launches i guess this will be moved out into the lull which is kind of cool but it's also one of our you know last things that was going to go out before the lull has gotten pushed back because Mm -hmm. it it can't you know it doesn't work yeah and we sort of jumped right into it uh i'll have a page in the show notes about the insight mission itself uh basically this is a um uh, a mission to look at the geophysical uh your your favorite subject <laughs> yeah rocks and, yeah, the geophysical and, makeup of mars yeah um, it's like seismic activity on mars which is right. cool we've sent so many probes to mars now that we send probes with like very specific jobs instead of just like take some pictures and this is about the the inner structure of of mars and 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 seismic activity on mars uh which is which is cool, but that requires an incredibly sensitive instrument, right? And that's the instrument in question here. It it needs to operate within very specific tolerances. So yeah, it's uh, I was I was bummed to see the news. Um, yeah, 
but we'll uh, we'll see. I guess we'll see. We'll see where that goes. We'll put that in the little list of things to keep an eye on. Yeah. So so the other thing that Emily mentioned that that we should uh, we're going to keep citing our interview with her, but. Uh, uh, these are the discovery missions, which means that they've got a budget and the story that we'll link to from the Planetary Society. Um, the discovery missions have a, a, a cap of, uh, of what is it, um, $675 million. There, there's a There's a cap, and uh, that's the risk here, is that if they have to store the rocket and they have to store the, the spacecraft and all of these other things that they have to do, at some point, if they if they realize that it's going to cost more than their budget cap, that's when they may just actually scrap the mission. So let's hope that doesn't happen. But it is, um, it's on the table, as somebody involved with the mission said. So yeah, let's hope they can fix that problem and and get it going again. Yep, uh, agreed. Um, this is something that you and I you, you and I spoke about uh, off off the show, but um, you and I, in addition to having uh computer nerdery and space nerdery in common. I think you and I are both also weather nerds to a degree. Yep. Uh, which is which is something that is probably not surprising uh if you look at the other two things. Um but I I wanted to uh mention quickly a pretty sweet Christmas present my wife uh got me being a uh pro weather station that I could put up at my house. Mm. Uh and you you have one up at your house as well, I correct? Do. I have had one uh the same one actually for like it was I put it up the week my son was born. Um, so it's 11 years now I have had that thing on, uh, in my backyard and, uh, yeah, I love it. It's a lot of fun. It's cool. It's, it's fun to, uh, know what the atmosphere is doing right where you live. Um, it's, you know, I use, uh, weather underground as sort of my weather service and like there's a, there's an elementary school, I mean, maybe less than a mile from our house and they've got a weather station there that is kind of plugged into the, I guess the weather underground network and, uh, so I have pretty hyper local weather already. This will be uh, about as close as I can get. You know, I put it basically right outside our bedroom window. It's like, oh, this is what it's doing right yeah. here. Yeah. Well, and where I live, the the temperatures are are dramatically different based on um, even a few miles, right? Just because of the influence of the ocean and the bay and all of that. And so for me, I always got frustrated by apps because the apps will say it's uh you know it's going to be it's going it's seventy and another app will say it's 85 and it's actually 77 right it's just like mm-hmm. they, they some of them measure from the cold and some from the hot so so it's been fun to have that and and over the years that technology even with the same uh, piece of hardware in the backyard the technology has gotten better where now you know because the software it talks to a mine talks to my computer and it also now i just bought a module the other the other month that now it also just talks directly to the internet and so uh that's been great because now i've you know i am a weather underground station on top of everything else and i can look at it there which is cool it's pretty cool the the one that my uh the app that kind of comes with this thing is not very good so i'm gonna look at they've got like a, a great yeah. internet bridge you can put in yeah um, yeah the 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 base stuff is not that the mine too came with a windows only well no they had a mac version that was terrible yeah and it was a java app and i had to have and it, the original one came with like a parallel port and i had to have like a perfect like a serial interface and then i had to have serial to usb oh, it was gosh. it's a whole thing but now it's they have a they have this ip version that i got like i said this year and uh, that was pretty cool because, um, you know, the same hardware, but now it goes, it's just got an Ethernet plug and it talks to the Internet and it's great. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you will have a lot of fun with it, I think. And 
You know, I've started, I have a thing in my menu bar on my Mac that shows me the temperature and it is my temperature. And we've got a couple screens in the house that are, that are set up to show the temperature and the time. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. That's pretty cool. It's it's something I've been interested in a long time. Uh, Back in, I guess, like middle school and high school, had some friends who were also really into weather. We all went and did like the um, Skywarn certification, uh, basically kind of a, I don't know, it was like a six hour thing on a Saturday at the community college. And you, you know, learn a little bit about cloud formation and like how to report things into the weather service and that sort of thing. And uh, in high school, we had this great idea. We were going to go out friend of ours had some land out out in the country and we were going to go camping but it ended up being like a really bad kind of late um late summer storm and here in the south uh those can really get dangerous quickly and ended up being a big uh tornado event that we came dangerously close to to realizing firsthand uh, as we were trying to get home and kind of get out of the path of this thing and this is of course before you know, we didn't have iPhones. This is before all that stuff. And so we knew that it was bad and we had uh, a weather radio and regular radio. But we, you know, it's not like today where you can pull out your phone. And you can see exactly the path the storm is taking in the palm of your hand. And we ended up kind of pulling off the side of the road behind this like abandoned or like closed down like gas station strip mall place. And the the front of that building actually got uh, basically destroyed either by straight line winds or, or a low grade tornado while wow. we were there. I mean, it was like the sound and the, the the atmospheric pressure were so intense. It was just a, a really crazy experience. And basically it passed over us. We were all okay. Cars were okay. And we we're like, well, I think we're going to go home before anything else mm-hmm. crazy happens. Because uh, stuff can be, you know, so it can be dangerous. Unfortunately, that was a reminder here in the South just, uh, just last week. Uh, some storms came through and right. some people lost their lives, which is really tragic. Um, but it's... It's a it's a serious thing, and it's something you know. As people who are interested in science and space and all of this stuff, like it, it is one of those things where that can impact you directly, uh, which is always kind of um, crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, we so much of what we talk about is abstract, and it's like these things that are far away, and we've learned about them, but they don't affect your life day to day. But so, uh, the stuff that we talked about in the last episode and in this episode, and things like the weather, I mean, these are things that are, are still sort of science and, if not astronomy, are meteorology. Um, and uh, these are things that, that do affect us directly every day. Yep. So uh, I think we're going to talk about the moon, but first you want to uh, tell us about our sponsor this week? Sure. Uh, uh, we love our sponsor, and it is Luminos. You've heard us talk about them before. Luminos is the all-in-one mobile astronomy app. It is for iPhone. It works on the iPad. It works on the Apple Watch. It's been in development for more than a decade, and it takes all the power that you get on a desktop astronomy program and puts it in your mobile device. Uh, you know, you don't even ha- you don't have to compromise. It's all there. There are lots of different stargazing apps that let you look at targets in the sky. Lu- Luminos has all of that and a lot more. They've created accurate models of millions of astronomical objects. So if you see a comet, and there is actually a comet that you can see right now, if you're very lucky and in the right place, and look carefully, um, or maybe there's a satellite passing overhead, you can tap and launch the target and kind of ride along with it in 3D, which is a really cool feature. So if you can't see it very well, you can get a very good idea of what's going on from the perspective of that object. There's a lunar phase calendar. That's important. Uh, We're going to be talking about that a little bit today Uh, in the app. And uh, there's a home screen widget to help you pick the best nights for stargazing. Uh, 
Wildworks is a family business, the makers of Luminos. They have more than 50 years of software experience. They've crafted Luminos to delight astronomy fans and make new astronomy fans. So share it with uh, with the kids you know, your friends and family. There are detailed planet and moon maps, tens of thousands of asteroids and comets, millions of stars, support for wireless telescope control. There's a whole lot more, including sky charts on your Apple Watch. And the best part, I think, of that Luminos... It's got one low price. They don't do paid upgrades. They don't do in-app purchases. They've been updating the app for free in the App Store for five years. And they've added more than 13,000 deep space images, current and historical meteor showers. There are more updates on the way. Find out a lot more about Luminos at Wobbleworks.com. And thank you to Luminos and the people at Wobbleworks for supporting Liftoff. Very cool. So we've spoken about the Earth's relationship with the sun. We've spoken a little bit about the moon in the past as far as the moon itself, what it's, what it's made up of, what it's like. Uh, but now we're going to talk about the relationship between uh, the Earth and the moon and what the how the moon impacts the Earth, tides, phases of the moon, uh, etc. So do you want to get this uh, kicked yeah, off? They're buddies. That's basically it. <laughs> they're buddies. Earth, the Earth and moon, they're buddies. You look up at the moon, you go, hey, buddy. Uh, they are. I mean, these are these two objects that are that are entwined, uh, intertwined uh, their lives together. So, um, when we were talking about the the seasons, uh, I did a whole thing about the moon, and we decided that was like too much podcast, so we pushed that off. And now, now, uh, now we're going to cover it because they're they're uh, they're not related, but um, but they're both things that have, uh, as we were saying, impact on our lives. And I think again, I'm going to do that same disclaimer that I did last time, which is, I know that some people are going to listen to this and say this is so obvious and it's so basic, but I will tell you, I have talked to incredibly intelligent educated people who had no idea about how this worked and you see it in in movies i'll I'll mention this a little bit later but you see this in like movies and tv they get it wrong all the time and some of it is creative license but i think some of it is also that people just don't understand this stuff so so if you do understand it that's great maybe this will be a fun refresher but i think a lot of people just miss this and maybe uh, if nothing else, this will be a refresher that will allow you to explain it to people you know. Because uh, I was talking, I was explaining to my kids the other day, and uh, you know, I've tried before, but I feel like they really got it, um, and that was that was cool too. So, the moon goes around the Earth, right? There, the, the moon's uh, one face of it is always locked to uh, to facing us, but it goes around the Earth in a twenty eight day cycle. Uh, there can be that is what that is uh, the origin of the word month. It comes from uh, from the moon because it's about a month. It's four weeks that 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 take the moon from a new moon all the way to a full moon and back again to a new moon. So uh, if you want to divide it up into into four week chunks, there is the uh, the the week where it goes from being a new moon to being halfway lit and halfway dark, which is what's called a first quarter moon. It's not called a half moon. It's a first quarter moon because it's the first quarter of the lunar cycle. That is also the period that we would call, um, and I'm going to use some moon, drop some moon terminology on you. That's what we call the waxing crescent crescent phase. A crescent moon is a moon that is less than half filled with light. And waxing means it's increasing day to day. It's getting more light on its surface in the moon in the moon phases. So the first seven days is the waxing crescent phase. And after seven days, uh, the moon's halfway lit. Yay, it's the first quarter moon. The next phase 
is, uh, so that second week of the lunar phase, it's moving from the half-filled to entirely filled. That is called the waxing gibbous phase. Gibbous uh, means uh, a moon that is more than half-filled with light in the sky. Um, because again, there's half the moon is, is lit up all the time. <laughs> But we can't see it. So this right. is all from the perspective of the Earth's surface, um, because that's that's this is where we live. So <laughs> this is generally how we see all of this stuff. So after that second week, we're at full moon. Full moon, completely lit. We all know what that is. Uh, Christmas. We had a Christmas full moon in 2015. That was a lot of fun. We did. Yep. Um, that doesn't. That was pretty and spectacular. It's every 38 years, I believe, something like that. It's uh, it's it's uh, that was pretty cool. Um, so then the third week is full to third quarter moon. So it starts out as a full moon and a week later it is back down to half. Uh, and again, not called a half moon. It's called a third quarter moon. And I think this is a common misconception that like the quarter moons, you think like that means it's a quarter lit up or something. And that's not it. It's a quarter of the quarter of the phase. So, um, that's the that's the waning gibbous phase. So it's still larger than half uh, of the face that we see filled up with light, but it's waning, so it's getting smaller. Um, and then the last phase, it goes from that half lit up all the way to back to being not lit up at all, and that's the new moon again. This is the waning crescent phase. So this is this is uh, the moon is a crescent; it's less than half full, but it is uh, reducing to uh, to nothing. And those are the four weeks. So those are the the four. Uh, key cycles, I would say, of the phases of the moon. And all of this is based on where the sun is relation to the moon, right? The Earth actually doesn't have anything to do with this unless there's an eclipse. Right, exactly. So um, so if you, if you think about it, it's all about the sun and the moon and their relationship, and we just kind of are viewing the moon from different angles based on where we are at that time. So um, if you think about it from... I'm going to go back to the perspective of... Uh, of us on the ground. So again, this is a podcast about space. So you think about it in terms of space and the earth is turning and, and the moon is going around the earth, but let's think of it as, as you're standing just out in a field somewhere looking up at the sky um, and days are passing. It, one way to think of the lunar cycle that I think is really, really uh, valuable is uh how close does the moon get to the sun in the sky? Because that's what it's all about. So over the course of the month, the moon gets closer and closer and closer to the sun in the sky. Um, and then uh, eventually it's really close to the, the sun. Uh, it is a new moon and then it moves away and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, then it gets far, far apart. And at its furthest distance, uh, they're they're on opposite sides of the sky from from one another, basically. Um, but uh, the, because the moon stays with its face locked toward the Earth, that um, you know that's. The, but it's still moving around the Earth. This is where you get that cycle, that twenty eight day cycle. Right. So one uh, you put it in here. I know. I know we've talked about it, and it, it sometimes uh, bugs you if you see an image or in a movie of a, a full moon high in the sky at sunset that's actually not possible it's totally it's totally wrong and 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 this is the thing that i think people this is the thing i didn't think about for for years is that all of these the location of the moon and its phase and its relationship with the sun are all connected so um so when the when the moon is new it is basically uh backlit it's between us and the sun and uh, so you you can't really see it, or if you see it, it is it is the uh, very uh, 
dark object that is reflected by like the light of of the earth mm -hmm. but basically because it's the bright it's bright day and it's right by the sun you can't see it in the sun's glare now that would make you say, well, why do, why isn't it an eclipse? And the answer is that uh, eclipses. So solar eclipses, um, solar eclipses happen, but uh, not that often because you know these are two objects up in the sky. They are of a certain size. You have to have perfect alignment to have a solar eclipse. Generally, they're just close to each other, but it's still a new moon. You can't see it. It's entirely backlit. So from the moon's perspective, the side that is facing away from the Earth is completely in the sun at that point, And the side that's facing us is is not. Um, on the opposite side, when the Earth is between, if you think of it, uh, the Earth is between the sun and the moon. Um, so at that point, if you're if it's nighttime, you know, you're the Earth, your back is to the sun and the moon is in front of you. And that's the full moon because that's when lunar eclipses happen, because the Earth is close to the close to the moon and it's pretty big. And and if you get the alignment just right, they're more common than solar eclipses. If you get the alignment just right, um, Earth casts its shadow on the moon. But most of the time it the Earth's shadow doesn't hit the moon, and it's just a full moon. the The part that's facing the Earth is completely lit by the by the sun. Um, but that means the rules are those rules. The if you think of standing out in that field again, the the way it works is for a full moon, the sun's going down and the moon's coming up. That's how it works. On a crescent moon, crescent moons are very, very, very close to the sun. Because that's how it works, is that the moon gets smaller in phase as it moves closer to the sun because most of it is, um, most of the moon that's getting sunlight is pointed away from us uh, as it moves closer to the sun. So in movies, if you see a crescent moon high in the sky or a full moon right above the setting sun, they've done it wrong. And I hate to point out, there's a, there's a beer commercial that, that has run, I don't think it's running anymore, that I remember Phil Plate at the Bad Astronomy blog uh, posted about. Uh, and he's he got it absolutely right. It is a commercial that is made by people who who actually understand how this works. And the whole idea is like there's somebody on an island and they're having a party and it's sunset. And and then the sun sets and they pack up all the stuff and they walk through the jungle to the other side of the island and put, put all their party stuff back out and the full moon is coming up. And it's like, yeah, that's actually it. That's how it works. You did it. Good job, beer commercial. So, um, but it's 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 gotten wrong by uh tvs and tv shows and movies much more often than it's done right um so the rule of thumb is if the moon if the moon is right above you at sunset it's first quarter if it's right above you at sunrise it's third quarter if it's up all night it's the full moon and and that's not a if you ever thought to yourself man full moon is so bright it's keeping me awake at night it seems like it's up the whole night yeah it's up the whole night that's how that's exactly how full moons work and if it's a, a crescent then you only get it at sunrise which is uh, right after a new moon or sunset which is right before a new moon because it's it's either coming into or out of phase with the sun at that point that's how the lunar phases work yep we, we spoke a little bit about it on a previous episode but the uh the, even though the moon's face that we see is locked to us, right? We only see the same side of the moon. Uh, we see the little bits kind of more around the edges depending on where everybody is uh, because the, the orbit isn't perfect. The way that everything moves isn't perfect. And you, so we see little glimpses, if you will, past the face. Uh, and there's a cool animation in here that shows that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, put the animation in the show notes. It, it's a... um. 
it's the moon gets closer and further away and it's slightly out it's slightly out of phase it's not perfectly locked and so i forget the number but there is a specific percentage it's not we don't see 50% of the moon's surface like before we had uh, spaceships uh, so before we could send a probe around the other side to take a picture of the far side of the moon um we didn't see 50% of the lunar surface. We saw like, I forget what the number is, 60%. It's something like that, where because of the the moon kind of wobbles and shimmies a little bit. And so you actually see a little bit more, not at one time, you only see 50% at, at one time, but over time you can see more because of, because of that. Because it's not, you know, like we've said over and over again, this, the, these are our dynamic systems and they're also not perfect systems. There's, there's some slop in, in the, uh, in the relationship. So th- we have lunar, the lunar phases, but we also have tides, which are linked to this also in a weird and complicated way. Tides are so strange. Yes. And <laughs> agreed. And, and complicated. And it's hard to think about them. And you, once you get into detail, this is one of those places where you could talk about tides forever because there's so much complexity and detail in them. But the way it, w- it was explained to me, and I think this is a good working way of thinking about it, is um, tides Tides are caused by gravity. The, it, there's the gravity of the moon, and there's the gravity of the, uh, of the sun, and they both pull on the earth. And we've got this, all this water, and it pulls on the water of the earth. So um, the, and, and, and part of the, the idea also is that um, the gravity, the the closer the the side of the Earth that's closer to the Moon has a bigger amount of gravity gravity impact from the Moon than the the side that's far away from the Moon, because gravity decreases over distance. So, th- through a combination of that, um, what you get is high tide a high tide in the part of the Earth that's facing the Moon, and a high tide in the part of the Earth that's opposite the moon which, which is, is really, yeah which really just looking at it seems counterintuitive but it, it it does but if you think if you think about um and this is this is where it gets kind of crazy complicated is if you think about it as if you just think of the the, the half that's facing the earth what it sort of makes sense right it's like sort of pulling the water over toward it um but why is there a high tide on the other side and the answer is because at that moment the moon is at its least gravitationally persuasive for that part of the world right so so when the moon is right overhead it's pulling on the water when it's at 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 the horizon it's sort of halfway pulling on the water to the side and when it's at the bottom it's even less pulling uh and i know i'm simplifying this a lot but basically that's how it works the moon when the moon is above you or below you is when you get high tides. And then the sun and the moon interact because the sun's placement also affects the tides. And so when the sun and the moon are both pulling, uh, you will get uh, a bigger tide because the sun's gravity has this effect. So at a new moon and a full moon, tides can be uh, larger. It's actually called a spring tide because the two work together. And when it's a quarter moon, they're at right angles. So the tides are lower. So it's... um, Anyway, this is the reason you get two tides a day, two high tides a day, two tidal cycles a day is because of all of this. Because um, as the as we move around, as the Earth rotates, you get the moon above and the moon below, and th- those are the two 
high tide points. And it's as complicated as all that sounds. You also have the the fact that the oceans uh, on our planet are a dynamic system themselves. Yeah, so the you, water you, doesn't like float above the water line, right? <laughs> through magic. <laughs> uh, so you have the example in here uh, that the North Sea, the spring tide, happens a couple of days later because of the flow of that water uh, in and out of that area. Right? This, the, it's not. Uh, not the only thing going on basically there's a yeah. lot more to it than just the pull of gravity it's a complicated dynamic system i think it's in also in the, like in the like bay of fundy maybe or is it hudson bay there there are there are places with really weird tides and high tide is not at the same place like if you go to a uh, a tide website or have a tide app i actually have a tide app uh with a with a watch complication in fact and you have to set it for like specifically where you are because high tide will be at different times and at different levels, depending on where you are. And that is because the water is a complicated system. The Earth's oceans or the, you know, the world ocean, because it's all really one ocean, one body of water. It's all interconnected. They all move uh, in, in, in strange ways based on the terrain and uh, and so you have places where the tides happen later or earlier or or where, in fact, the largest, you know, the spring tides will happen a lot later because the wa- it takes time for the water kind of to the influence of that moving water to be felt and then to move away. And the, there's lag. So, you know, the earth is is complex. We're talking about a lot of water. But but in the the, the basic aspect of it is the moon and the sun to a certain degree, but the moon pulls on the earth with its gravitational pull. And that actually has an effect on the, all this water we've got sloshing around on our planet. You mentioned the, uh, the Bay of Fundy. There's, uh, it, it is kind of one of two, it seems like that there's some kind of debate about who has, uh, the high, the highest high tidal range. Um, but this is definitely a place on earth where that high tide is, a little more exaggerated than than other places, if you will. Yeah, there there they say that they've got like a like a a fifty foot diff- variation they claim on uh, on tides in the Bay of Fundy, uh, which is is that's uh, pretty wild. That's uh, you know, but again, it's it has to do with the water flow in and out and how the geography uh, geography works. Again, favorite favorite subject. Tides. They're uh, how do they work? Magnets, <laughs> gravity. Tides are not magnetic, but uh, but uh, you know, again, how do they work? It's confusing and complex, and it has to do with rocks. And that's when I throw out my hands and go ah. But uh, but it's all it is it is moon related and it's physics related. That's the other thing um that I always find fun is that a lot of times when you're taking classes, you're learning about physics or you're reading a book about about relativity or something like that and you think well this is cool but what practical purpose does it have but this is these are examples where like gravity of objects and in fact the diminishing of gravity over over distance has a direct effect on something that you can just walk out i mean i well you can't (laughs) i can i can walk um 10 minutes and and there's a marsh five minutes and there's a marsh that i can see when the tide is in or out in fact, I'm going to even say there's there's a little um, around the corner from my house. There is a drainage ditch that is connected to the marsh, and at high tide it's it's full, and at low tide it's not, unless it's been raining. 
And so, so yeah, so, so within like two minutes walk of my house, I can see the tidal cycle in action. And it's all because of gravity um, applied to reality, which I think is really cool. Just like how, when we talk about things like uh, satellites and GPS, relativity actually matters. And it's a, it's a case where it's not just this theoretical thing that isn't it interesting to understand how the universe works. It's like, no, the universe is working in ways that, that d Im actually impact the technology you use and, uh, and whether you can go for a walk or whether the street is flooded, all of that <laughs> stuff it can be related to things that involve, uh, uh, physics and, and other stuff like that. Cool. Well, thank you for, uh, for having us all in your classroom today, Jason. You, you, you know, the, uh, yeah, moon class. Woo. <laughs> Everybody's favorite class is moon class. I don't know. I only learned this stuff like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I just never really thought about it. I mean, I knew things about the moon, but the moon cycles thing, it seems so obvious. And yet, uh, a lot of people don't know it. So, you know, I hope people i hope people learn something i think it's i think it's kind of fun and i always enjoyed back when i was a, a daily commuter i always enjoyed uh, walking to the bus in the morning and noticing the changes in where the moon was at that time of day that the, where it was in the sky and what its phase was and once you once you start noticing it um it's kind of fun and you then you then you notice it you notice the passage of time it's, it's actually kind of a fun way to mark mark time when you see that it's a uh a new moon after the Christmas full moon, you'll know that it's been two weeks since Christmas. That's kind of cool. Or, or on, uh, on new year's day, it'll be, uh, you know, it will have just been a, uh, a, a quarter moon first quarter. moon. That's very cool. cool. So if you want to find links, stuff we've talked about today, you can do that in your podcast app of choice or on our website. Uh, link for today is relay.fm slash liftoff slash 11. 11. Eleven, it's rock and rolling here. Yeah, uh, you That's can. A lot of uh, <laughs> they they fly by. Mm. You can send us an email from that page. You can hit us up on Twitter. Jason yeah. is J Snell on Twitter. I am ISMH, or you can find the show at Liftoff Podcast. You can find uh, Jason's writing all over the internet these days, but uh, sixcolors.com dot uh, com is his uh, his base for everything spot. he's doing. See what I did? I made a space comment nice. about your website school and uh my writing can be find found at 512pixels.net i think that is it uh for this week so until the next fortnight say goodbye yeah bye everybody happy new year we'll we'll see you in uh, in a couple of weeks adios watch the moon keep watching the moon <laughs> wrong show <laughs>